Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Hi everyone, you are going to hear raindrops in the beginning introduction here and you will hear them again at the end of the podcast as I close things out. In case you don't know, we live in a motorhome and the sounds that we hear, you get to hear. So as I'm doing the introduction and the ending of the podcast, it's raining. I do want to start out this podcast today by saying that this episode is being sponsored by Tony and Angelique Markton in loving memory of their son, Isaiah. Isaiah Santel was a loving boy who would light up the room when he walked in it. He was full of energy and smiles, and he would be the first to crack a joke if he had the opportunity. He was tall and had gorgeous blue eyes. He loved basketball, and he was really into fashion. Isaiah had a lot of grace for people and was a protector over his friends. He had a strong personality and wasn't afraid to speak up, a lot like his parents. He was amazing with little kids, and they were crazy about him. Isaiah developed strong leadership qualities the last couple of years he was alive. A week before he died, Isaiah started to write a book and told his mom it was kind of like the book Diary of a Wimpy Kid, but deeper. Isaiah loved hip-hop music and wanted to be a producer. He wrote a hip-hop song called Took Me to the Light two weeks before he went to the light. Thank you, Tony and Angelique, for being supporters of GPS Hope and this podcast. You have our love and our hearts. In the last seven weeks, we have been in a series of people in the Bible who lost a child. And we've looked at Adam and Eve, who were the parents of the first person who died in the Bible. David, who lost an infant son. We looked at what we could learn from Mary, the mother of Jesus, at the death of her son. We spent two weeks looking at Job's suffering with the death of all 10 of his children and finding God in the midst of our deepest pain. And then there was Naomi, the mother-in-law of Ruth, who was very bitter after the death of her husband and both of her sons. And we saw how God brought her back to a place of fullness of life again. And last week, I shared some thoughts on both Jacob and Jairus, who had their children actually return to them. And this week, this is going to be the last episode of this series. We all had hopes and plans for the future of our children. And some of us got to see some of those things lived out, such as maybe see our child graduate, even get married and have their own children. But no matter the age of the death of our child, none of us planned for our own future to not include our child who's no longer here with us. And even for me, the last 10 years of Becca's life was plagued by heart issues to the point of needing to be on the heart transplant list. Until the day she died, though, I still imagined her somehow healed to the point of remaining here on earth as part of my life and my future. Now, there are times that an entire group of children are wiped out, such as these 
terrible mass school shootings or any mass murders, actually, that uh, a group or even adults are attending because we know that many adults have parents and it just doesn't matter the age of the child when your child dies. And this isn't new. So I want to spend some time looking at a couple of groups in the Bible who had that future taken from them in an instant. And the first one I want to look at was shortly after Jesus was born. In trying to kill what he thought was his competition as a ruler, King Herod had all of the boy babies killed in the town of Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Now, I'm not going to get into a discussion of why God allowed that to happen, other than the fact that we live in a corrupt, sinful world. And if you love someone, you don't manipulate and force them into doing or not doing things your way. And that's the same with God because that would make us robots, and we wouldn't have a relationship with God. None of us are exempt from trauma and tragedy in this life. And the thing is, this isn't the final place. This isn't it, right? So it talks about it in Matthew chapter 2, verse 18, and it says, A sound was heard in Ramah, the sound of crying in bitter grief. Rachel was crying for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were dead. Another version says, I hear the screams of anguish, weeping and wailing in Ramah. Rachel is weeping uncontrollably for her children, and she refuses to be comforted because they are dead and gone. I think we can all relate to this. Now, this is referring to a prophetic word in Jeremiah in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31, verse 15. And I'm so glad that this verse is here because it does let us know that our reaction to the death of our child is a normal one. Psalm 31.7 says, I will be glad and rejoice in your love for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You know, I, I cannot imagine losing my child that way, the way that these parents lost their sons. We are told in Isaiah 53, 3, that Jesus is a man of sorrows and he's acquainted with grief. See, he came and lived here as a human being. Did Jesus lose a child? No, but God did. And they're one. God knows the depth of the pain of the death of a child. I mean, his son died by a horrific, torturous murder. He gets it. There's another time when we see a group of people losing children all at once, and that was the last of the ten plagues when Moses was delivering the Israelites from slavery. It was the death of the firstborn. And I find it interesting that Moses survived a genocide. It had been decreed by a previous pharaoh that every Hebrew baby born, male baby, must be killed by throwing them into the Nile River. That's another one that I just, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine my child being taken out of my arms to be killed. But it happened. Now, Moses survived that. Most of us know that story. He was hidden, and it was actually the Pharaoh's daughter that found him and raised him. But in Exodus chapters 11 and 12 is where we read most of this. And 
what we see is that the firstborn son in Egypt will die from Pharaoh who sits on the throne. So he was not the firstborn, but his son, his firstborn was going to die all the way down to any servants or slaves. And the scripture says there will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or will be again. There was not a single household that did not have at least one death. That's just, wow, no wonder the Bible says that it's worse than there ever has been or will be again, all at the same time. Now, at that point, these plagues were happening because the Israelites were to be released from slavery, and Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. So this last plague, the death of the firstborn, everybody, every household losing people, at that point, they weren't just given permission to go, they were commanded to go and to take everything with them. Take your herds, your livestock, your children, take everything and just go. And God had told Moses that this would happen and why. Back in Exodus chapter 4, God's talking to Moses, say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. This, is, this was God telling Moses what was going to happen. In order to fully understand this plague, some of it is understanding the hierarchy within Egyptian civilization. The firstborn had absolute power within the family unit. And so the attack against the firstborn was a powerful blow against the entire idol-worshiping culture of Egypt. And I think that this final plague shows God's agreement that the death of a child is the most painful grief and loss that we can experience here on this earth. And the fact that God allowed himself to go through that experience shows his love. It just shows the depth of how much he loves us, that he would willingly let his son die for us. You know, those of us who think that God is only good when he doesn't let bad things happen like this here on earth— they don't understand that God is looking at the full picture of mankind. He knows this is not it. This is not the final word in our lives. And those that think he isn't a loving father because he allows all these horrible things to happen don't fully understand love because, like I said, love doesn't cause robots. Love doesn't demand and manipulate those around us to do what we think they should do. Love allows mistakes. It allows consequences. And love is there to bring comfort and peace within those painful things that happen to us because of the fact that love refuses to force their will on someone. Rain falls on the just and the unjust, the Bible tells us. But there are times when sin and corruption implodes on itself, and those who are innocent are affected, sometimes even more than those who caused the trauma to happen. If we don't make Jesus Lord of our life, there are going to be difficulties in our lives. And guess what? If we do make Jesus Lord of our lives, he outright tells us that there will be difficulties in our lives. But the difference is, when we make Jesus Lord of our lives, his very spirit lives inside of us. And that means we have access to peace within our pain. We can have joy and laughter. 
within the sorrow. We we have comfort and and wisdom and, and ability to see blessings within the storms of life. We have the seed of hope in us. We have light that will shine in our place of darkness. We have a faithful God who keeps his promises. Like Isaiah 60, 20, that says, The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. These are promises that are going to be kept, if not here, then after we leave this earth and and join our children. Even if our child died with others, whether it was a a mass murder or there were just more people, an accident with several people in the car or whatever the situation was, even if our child died with others or or we know someone who lost their child in the same way, like at, at the hand of a drunk driver, we're still all on our own individual journey. So what do we do? I want to read something from It's called the Hope in the Morning Bible. Let me get it here. And it says, Grief is deep and long-lasting. If you have outlived your child, you know the pain. How do you grieve the loss of a child? Understand that this may be the most painful loss you will ever face. Take time to grieve. Don't let anyone try to hurry you through it. Recognize that this is a loss you will never get over, but it does get softer. Be kind to yourself. Take care of yourself. When you are ready, return to work and other activities. Plan ahead for anniversaries, birthdays, holidays, and other tender days. The loss of a child is hard on a marriage. Work to preserve your marriage. Seek counseling if needed. If you have other children, remember that they are grieving too. People can say misguided things such as, you have other children. Forgive them and don't let such comments pull you down further. Ask God to give you the grace to get through each day. He has promised that he will never leave you. He will walk with you through the most painful time. We all need others to walk this journey with us. Yes, there are plenty of times we need to be alone with our grief, but most of us will stay stuck a whole lot longer if we isolate ourselves. Most people who don't understand what it's like to lose a child will want to try and fix you. And those of us who have lost a child from this earth, we know that's just not going to happen. We are just a bunch of broken parents walking this journey together, enjoying our children together, encouraging each other, crying and laughing together and missing our children together. The grief of the death of your child is so unique, but you don't have to walk that journey alone. There are those of us out here who want to walk it with you. You're not alone. You don't have to be alone. This episode airs on Tuesday, May 19th. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, we still have 10 more live talks on YouTube. Each day through the month of May, I have been going live with a different guest and a different topic. To get the schedule to join us, you can just go to gpshope.org together and you'll find all the information there. Let's go on to our birthdays. First, we have Chris Rubin. Chris was born on May 19th, and Chris is forever 16. We have Ryan 
Drew, who was also born on May 19th, and Ryan is forever 31. We have Isaiah Santal, who was born on May 22nd. Isaiah is forever 16. We have Kyle Terry, who was born on May 24th, and Kyle is forever 28. And then we have Flora May Sparger. Flora is actually a stepsister that I never met. She will forever be 12 days old. If you would like to have your child's birthday announced and shared with our listeners, all you have to do is go to gpshope.org birthdays. There's just a little form to fill out. You submit it, and I will make sure that your child gets added to the birthday list and shared with the listeners the week of his or her birthday. As you heard at the beginning, this episode is being sponsored in loving memory of Isaiah Santal by his parents. The Grieving Parent Sharing Hope podcast is listener-supported. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode in loving memory of your child while also supporting the podcast to keep us going, you can check it out on our website, either in the store or under the Donate tab, because it is a tax-deductible sponsorship donation. You get to select the week that you would like to sponsor, and you get to write what you would like everyone to know about your child, which will be heard by hundreds of other listeners for years to come. Just go to gpshope.org, and like I said, uh, check the store tab or the donate tab, or you can click on the link that will be in the show notes. Once again, all of the links that I have mentioned will be in those show notes, and I want to end with a short conversation taken from The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Is he quite safe? Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. And with that, remember to hold on. Pain eases. There is hope.